Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's give him a hand clap of praise. I'm supposed to do this or not, but I'm going to sing a chorus. First, I want to, you can be seated. I want to honor my pastor and my bishop. I had a little bit of a, an emotional moment last week. I looked at my bishop and I told Brother Reese, this, but I looked at my bishop and I told him I don't want to imagine a world without him. And I feel the same way about my pastor. Amen. See, when I look in the mirror, I see all of my faults and shortcomings and they still trust me to be right here. And it's humbling. Amen. I want to sing I need thee, oh, I need thee, sing with me, every hour, I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior.
thank him and praise him don't you feel like I do that you just need him every day hallelujah Jesus you're a wonderful savior and I love you I praise you and magnify you hallelujah hallelujah thankful for what God has given me Thankful for my wife and children and a grandbaby. I told my son, I said, you know that everywhere I go, if I'm in a pulpit, I'm going to talk about grandbaby. He goes, yeah, you're not talking about me. I said, yes, I mentioned you. I still do. It's good to be here tonight. It's good to see Brother and Sister Simons. Met them several years ago. Pastor in Dickinson, North Dakota. Really good to see a familiar face come into California. And really good to see my uncle in service tonight. I'm thankful for a God that heals. He's continuing to touch, and I'm I'm really grateful. I really am. Amen. I'll be reading from reading from 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 30, just a short verse. Kings 18.30, if you're there, say amen. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Let's pray tonight. Jesus, we love you and thank you for your presence. We thank you for your ability, God, to come in and sweep in and just cover us tonight, God. Grateful to you for your word, Savior. I pray that you would touch the ear the hearing of the, the hearer tonight, God, I pray that you would touch their heart to receive it. I pray that you would touch my lips, God, that I can preach your anointed word. We're grateful to you, Savior, and we'll give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Going to talk to you for a little bit on this subject, rebuild the altar. In this passage of scripture, the prophets of Baal were gathered with Elijah and people of Israel, and they were given an opportunity. There was a gauntlet thrown down, and whoever's God answers by fire, that's the God we're going to serve. And Elijah is standing before them, and I would have to say that if I, if I had an opinion of who Elijah was, he's a little bit different than this staunch prophet because this passage of scripture begins to tell us that he began to mock so I think there was just a little bit of a smart aleck personality inside 
Elijah, even if he was some older, staunch man, he understood what uh, talking trash was. There was a little bit of that in him. But in this passage of Scripture, we find that the prophets of Baal are given the altar. They're given uh, a bullock to put on the altar, and they were told that you have your opportunity. Now, you call your gods, and you do everything you can to make sure that they answer you. And if he answers with fire and it burns a sacrifice, then we will serve your God. But if not, then Elijah said, it's going to be my turn, and we're going to have the same altar and we're going to have a bullock and we're going to do some things here and we're going to see if out my God answers by fire. And so the prophets of Baal began to call upon their God. And it's interesting because it says that in the morning time they came out and they got all geared up and they were, they were jumping around and hyped up because they were getting ready to show everybody just what their God could do. And the Bible tells us that they besought him in the morning and it began to be noonday the middle of the day and they went beyond midday and they're still jumping around they jumped onto the altar and destroyed the altar they began to cut themselves and and began to bleed profusely and still calling on a God that was not going to hear them and this is where that trash talk comes in because Elijah steps up and says maybe he went on vacation maybe he just can't hear you maybe your God just doesn't understand what you're trying to do maybe you need to say it just a little bit louder to no avail the passage of scripture that I gave you tells us that very seemingly quietly Elijah said come near unto me and when the people came near unto him, the Bible says that he repaired the altar. It wasn't a big, massive undertaking. He just simply said, come near to me. I want to show you something. And I want to look at an instance in Scripture that tells us of rebuilding, of a rebuilding process. Nehemiah was an Israelite, born in captivity didn't know what it was like to be outside of captivity. He just heard the stories while sitting on his mother's knee, talking to aunts and uncles. They began to tell them of a, of a land that he had never been to, began to give stories to him, and he, for whatever reason, began to listen a little bit more intently than the other people did, and he, he thought of this place called Jerusalem where the walls had been tumbled down, and he, he began to feel something inside of him. He didn't understand the safety of walls around his own city. And so he goes to a king that he was under captivity in. And he begins to talk to this king in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 5. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. You see, at this particular time, he, would, he was raised in captivity and he was a cupbearer to the king. He was also probably a prime minister slash master of ceremonies. He was well connected in the circles of, of government. He was known so well by the king that the king looked at him one day and saw his countenance. And he said, there's a sadness there. And he asked him what the problem was. And he said, I'm, I'm troubled for my people. 
because we've been here for so long and we have no city to go back to. The walls have crumbled down and they're just laying flat. And I've got a desire to go and do something not only for myself but for my people. And he besought the king and the king gave him permission to look into the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Interestingly, he didn't go to a bunch of different people and say, hey, I want you, 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 and grab a bunch of guys. And I began to, to share something with my daughter not too long ago. And I told her, not everybody can go where you go. And that's a hard truth to come to sometime to understand that God's taken me to places that I just can't take everybody with me. And so he looked around and he found the ones that he thought had passion for the work like he did. And that probably could keep their mouths shut. And he assessed the work that needed to be done. He trusted certain people and those are the ones that he took with him. I can't take everybody on my journey. But I can pray that they find a journey for themselves. I can't take everybody in the same path that I take. But I can sure find a place of prayer and say, God, you see the desire there. Take them to their own place. Take them to a place that only you and they know where they're going. Maybe. Maybe for a period of time. But he had a plan and he executed that plan. And I realized that in order to complete the work ahead of us, to repair the altar we're going to need to have focus, determination, commitment, tenacity, just as Nehemiah did. It would have taken every one of these to find in a man that said, I will take this undertaking. I've never been to Jerusalem. My good buddy right here went. Actually, I've got two buddies that went. And when they weren't laying on altars and sacrificing each other, they were seeing all the sights. But can you imagine them building the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days? 52 days. It was something that Nehemiah had a heart to work and he had a heart to do something for, for God and for the people of God. Scripture tells us that the enemy, after seeing some success, began to come around, began to plague them, try to stop them. Isn't it just like the enemy to come in when you've had a prayer meeting and say, oh, you didn't get really anything that night. You just, you just got a little tip of the iceberg, and tomorrow you'll be cold all over again, and, and we won't have to worry about this. You can still come and visit with me, and you, we can still enjoy the things that the world has to offer. It's just like him to come in when you feel like you're on cloud nine and victory has, has just seemingly overwhelmed you. And yet he comes in and begins to talk. But this didn't stop Nehemiah and those that were building the wall. In one hand, they held some, a tool to build the wall. And in the other hand, they had a weapon. And when somebody came and tried to stop them, they began to fight in the spirit. And they began to do some things because I'm not going to stop rebuilding my altar. I'm not going to stop rebuilding some things that God gave me. I'm not going to stop rebuilding the things that God said I can have in the spirit if I would just stay constant rebuilding may not be easy but it can be done I remember working in a house 
Brother Jim Williams was my boss, and I went to this house and did one thing one day. And interestingly enough, it was in the room where the fireplace was. Some years later, I went to this house. I said, man, I've been to this house, but I haven't been to this house. And I walked in the room where the fireplace was, and there it stood. Nothing else was the same. They tore everything down except for one wall and a wall where the fireplace was, like an L-shaped, and they ripped it down to that, and they called it a remodel. My friends, that was no remodel. Professional football player moved back to Bakersfield and built a huge, huge house. So rebuilding may not be the easiest thing to do, but it can be done. I, I, I've looked at a lot of times, a lot of things in my life and said, man, I'll never gain back that, that place, that space, that territory. And I feel an unction from God that says, oh, you can, you can gain it back. It might take some work. It might take some, some hours and, and days and months and and, and, and years, but you can gain that space back. The finished product of what was just shambles in Jerusalem began to take, take place as they built the walls. They began to see the beautiful city once again. It wasn't so much that the city was torn down, but the walls were torn down. My safety, my protection... And so they begin to see the beautiful things that would take place by rebuilding the walls. If we can just focus our minds and our hearts on what God can raise from the ashes of yesterday, we can realize that we can go find a place to pray somewhere. And I like to pray right there at the end of your bench, Brother Simons. An old friend of mine, Brother Eccles, would sit right there before service. And today as I prayed came to the church and I dropped these off and I asked God a question. Basically asked God, what was it that caused Sister Libby McAllister to find an altar? What was it that caused Brother Eccles to find an altar that they seemingly never walked away from? And in my mind, it must have been some sort of event in their life or series of events that happened that caused them to draw close to God. And if I've ever heard God speak, he told me it was not an event. They cultivated an appetite for the things of God. And it pushed them. It was something that had to be done. It was not something that... I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll really, I'll really buckle down and do that when I get a little older. I've been here almost 28 years, and I don't know how I knew. But from one, probably the first month, maybe two months here, I realized that Sister Libby McAllister was a prayer warrior. And I remember asking God on numerous occasions, God, I pray that my name passes through her lips because I knew that God listened to a sister Libby McAllister. There were many times that I was like a little kid walking up to Brother Eccles. I remember 
going to camp meeting when I was a child in Oregon. Brother Merle Ewing was there, and he sang and he preached, and I had to get around where he was at. Man, it just thrilled me when Brother Ewing hits me on the back of the back like this and says, how are you, young man? Made my day. I didn't have to have a conversation with him. I was in touching distance of Brother Merle Ewing. He about threw me in the floor. He just barely touched me. It was like he's a big man. But I feel like that's what God was like to Brother Eccles and Sister Libby McAllister. They craved to be in that presence. They craved to find that time with him. And I'll never forget a, a moment in a prayer meeting. I, I've told this to numerous people. My wife and I and our children had gone to eat dinner before we came to prayer meeting one Tuesday night then it was Thursday night church and Tuesday night prayer meeting. I just had a full meal, Mexican food. I was satisfied and I knelt down right there and I asked God, I said, I want to know what Brother Eccles feels when he comes to the house of God. And I'm telling you right now, as sure as I'm standing here, that I felt a hunger in the pit of my stomach that I can't explain because I just had a meal. I felt thirsty because, and that was weird because I just drank a bunch of iced tea. And God said that's what he feels when he comes to the house of God. He's hungry and he's thirsty that the spirit will be poured out. Later on, I heard in his sickness, one of the last nights he could have been at the house of God was a Sunday night and he could not make it because he was just too weak. And they said, he looked up and he goes, if I could just be in the house of God tonight helping somebody pray through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's, that's what hunger and thirst does for you. So I'd like to ask you today, what did your life look like when, when he showed up on the scenes? If my life represented a house, Sister Williams wouldn't have had a good paint job. Front door would have been hanging off its hinges. The shutters would have been broken and the windows shattered. Inside, the floorboards would have been ripped up. No doors on the door jams, holes in the wall. Every one of us have a story to tell about where we were in life and what the world had done to us. We were in shambles, but I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'm thankful that he chose me. I'm thankful that passage of scripture as well that was read tonight, Brother Reese, because I began to look at that when it talks about a royal priesthood and all of that. And there's a phrase in there in the Greek that says, we are his possession. And I'm thankful that I'm his possession. I was bought with a price. I, I don't own myself anymore. And so there are some things that when I go to and I realize that I'm, I'm delving into things that I shouldn't be delving into, there's something that raises up in me and says, you don't belong here. You don't belong doing these kind of things because I bought you. You're not your own anymore, but I bought you with a price. I gave my precious blood for you. We're going to find times in our life that our altars are torn down, just as you see represented here tonight. I know this is not a lot. 
but this doesn't resemble anything. It's just some blocks. And we find ourselves in a place where we recognize that, that I've forsaken the altar a little bit. I'm broken. I'm scattered. I, I, I'm just a lonely shell of a person that I used to be. I'm lost among the rubble. I'm floundering. I'm trying to find joy in a world that didn't give me joy in the first place. There's no way it can take it from me, but I, I have allowed the enemy to come in and begin to take things from me because I'm trying to enjoy myself in a place that I was never meant to enjoy myself. My prayer life has been shattered. Altar is broken down. This passage of scripture I don't know what it must have done to Elijah to stand or Elijah to stand and watch people jump on an altar and utterly destroy the altar that day. He had to look and say, you know, it's not the altar, it's the God that I'm going to call to this altar. I can rebuild the altar. They're never going to be able to call their God to answer by fire. But when my prayer time is no longer the most important thing of my day. When it's pretty much non-existent, we've forgotten what it's like to get up and pray. And from a long time ago, first vehicle I think I drove for a painter it was a 19, well, for Brother Jim Williams. I guess I worked for another guy for a little while. But I remember a 1988 Ford Ranger pickup. I remember days getting in that pickup and driving down the road. And sometimes I had a little bit longer to go than others to begin to talk to my God. I don't know how many vehicles I've been in that became my personal altar. But I've all often wondered what happens when somebody gets in that vehicle and they're going down the road and they feel a presence. Because I did. I remember one time in particular, and I think I may have told this before, but I was going down the road and I was lamenting because I was going through some things and I didn't want to go through them. And I, I had tried everything but really calling out to God. I was frustrated. I was angry. It was early morning. Everybody was driving down the road just as I was, and I was stopped at a light. And I, I was weeping. I couldn't think of anything to say, but my mind was racing, and I felt like I was just telling God, this is ridiculous. I thought I was your son. I thought I wasn't going to have to endure this. I thought I wasn't going to have to deal with these kind of problems. And, and this is just stuff racing through my mind. And I gripped the steering wheel with cars all around me. And this is what it looked like. One of the sweetest presents I ever felt swept into that vehicle. And God seemingly said, I was waiting for you to turn to me. 
he would be there well before that. But he knows that most of the time we're going to wait till we're there. And he says, I'll be right here. We forget what it's like to commune with the Savior. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 through 29. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will also save you from all of your uncleanness. And I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. The altar was an ugly place. Death was its constant companion. The altar in the tabernacle was built in a way that the wood was put on a grate about halfway between the earth and the top of the altar. The blood would drip down into the earth below and it was saturated by the blood of the sacrifices that were performed. It was a place of slaughter. And I realized that a lot of times the reason why my flesh doesn't want to come to an altar is because I know there's some things that I'm going to have to kill in order to be victorious. There's some things that I'm going to have to put out of its misery. But even though it's a place of slaughter and sacrifice, it's also a place of safety that sometimes we forget to think about. It's a place of devotion and it's a place of refuge. It's a place of forgiveness. As the musicians come tonight, Colossians 3, 8 through 12 says, But now ye also put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image, image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision. Barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. I have to come back to a place. My altar's been torn down. And I'm frustrated. I'm angry sometimes. I blame others for my lot in life. I look at the enemy in my soul and say, if you hadn't have shown me this, and if you hadn't have come around whispering this, but this, this is my altar, and I'm responsible for my altar. I began to move some things around, and I realized that there's a stone that I purposely put in place. I was fighting a battle. It took me days and weeks and months. Taking myself out of fellowship with some because I couldn't handle to be around anybody at this moment in my life. And I find it laying haphazardly among the garbage. And I reset it. I say, that's good. I begin to commune with my father. And as hard as it is, I, I reach for anger and I pull it to an altar and I set the stone and I pray 
that God will take this anger from me and help me to control myself. And I see a stone that is one of envy, and so I pull it towards me, and I stack another stone on an altar. I place it just so, because when I get done, I want to make sure that my altar is done correctly. I want to make sure that I have I have performed what I need to perform. You know, I felt like God just a few minutes after telling me that Sister Libby and Brother Eccles craved the, the time with their Savior. And he reminded me that Job, Job didn't draw nigh to God in times of hardship. He drew nigh to God so that he could make it through the hardships. And I find another stone and I realize that the addiction that I fought so hard to overcome is staring me at the, in the face again. And I realize I've got to one more time put it on an altar. I've got to set it. I've got to make sure that it's just so. I've got to spend my time at this altar. Nobody is responsible for this but me. Nobody's responsible for your altar but you. Nobody can tell you when to go to it and when not to go to it. Nobody can tell you how it's supposed to be built. Because everybody's got different things that they've got to overcome. But I've still got to find a place and begin to build my altar. See another stone. Set it to the altar. I stack so many with conviction against pride, arrogance, hatred, and envy. And I allowed a moment to come in, the enemy to tell me, it's not going to hurt if you just blow your top one time. It's not going to hurt if you are envious of somebody just one time. It's not going to hurt if you think that you deserve some recognition. But arrogance sweeps in and you find your altar in disarray. My heart is overwhelmed as I begin to put the pieces back together and I start to feel whole again because this is where I die daily. This is where I make sure that my man, my fleshly man, doesn't rear its ugly head and make me look like a fool. I can't wait for disaster. I can't wait for something to happen to one of my children to find an altar. I can't wait until my spouse walks away from God to find an altar. I can't wait till I find out that one of my friends died of a drug overdose and God had just talked to me about 
calling them up and inviting them to church one more time. I can't wait for that to find an altar. I've got to find an altar today. And I've got to do it again tomorrow. And I've got to do it the next day and the next day. I never met Sister Maggie Terry. But I remember, brother... Jesse Parker said he got a Bible from Sister Maggie Terry, and in Daniel she had written, you mean Daniel only prayed three times a day? I don't feel worthy to talk to a person like that about prayer. But I know that today all day I thought, God, I need you. I'm nowhere near where I need to be, God, and I just need you every day. I can't wake up in the morning and go about my day without recognizing my need of you. When that guy cuts me off on the road and I yell something out and call him an idiot or whatever, I can't be that person and be the man that I need to be in the house of God, and I've got to go back grab a stone I'm thankful that I can be like David praise singers please come to the platform the Bible says that when he came back to Ziklag they saw the devastation that had taken place He found a corner somewhere. And he encouraged himself in the Lord. And I tell you that Nehemiah chapter 13 is one that frustrates me every time I read it. But I see the positive of it. A man that put the work in. And he rebuilt the walls. And he comes back, and he looks, and Eliashib had taken the vessels of God, of the house of God, out of its chambers. He had put them somewhere, and in his place was Tobiah, who was an enemy of rebuilding. The Bible tells me that he kicked him out. He didn't just kick him out. He cleansed it. And he brought in again the vessels of the house of God into the chamber. We'll never successfully rebuild the altar in our lives if we try to reserve a place for the enemy. If we're not willing to kill everything that is contrary to the spirit of God, we're never going to be successful in rebuilding an altar. And gaining that place in God, that territory. I heard something today. You can gain new territory by praise, but you'll never retain it. You'll never sustain that unless you find a place of prayer. My last scripture, Romans chapter 12, verses 1. And two, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I looked at this today and I've never seen this progression. Good, acceptable, perfect. I ask you if you wanted a good meal, you'd probably be down for that. I, even if I asked you if you wanted acceptable meal, you'd probably be down for that. But if I told you that I had a perfect meal for you, we'd all go to Bergatti's. So as apostolics, I would, I think it'd be fair to say that we love good anointed preaching and singing. We've always loved it. It's not just for spiritual health, but for entertainment as well. But you have to understand something before you find somebody that preaches an anointed message and sings an anointed song. There's been some preparation at an altar. Something happened at an altar. There are numerous songs, Brother McAllister, that you've written that mean a lot to me. Because I know that when they were written, it was written not just with meaning, but there was, a, there was a spirit of God attached to that. There was an anointing attached to that. We forget sometimes what it takes. There is never going to be a substitute for finding an altar. There will never be a substitute for you going to the house of God or making an altar in your home or in your car and laying yourself on an altar and saying, you know what, I'm sick and tired of the person that I am becoming. I'm sick and tired of trying to deal with this fleshly man. I've got to kill it once and for all. I've got to find an altar. And so it's going to take some time and it's going to take some effort on my part. But I must find an altar. I've got to repair the altar. I can't allow my altar to look like it looked. I can't allow for hatred and envy to show up. I can't allow for the things of this world to overcome me. And make me just like anybody else. I was not called to be just anybody else. So I've got to go back to where I hungered and thirsted for an altar. So much so that it was the only thing that mattered in life. I can't survive without an altar in my life. As we close our eyes. And they begin to sing a song of infidation. And I tell you that this is not for just the random person sitting on the pew that may be going through something. But I feel strongly that every one of us can be reminded every once in a while that our altar may not be what it needs to be. Even those that seem to always be at the prayer meetings and always be on cloud nine somewhere along the way they still got to find that altar tomorrow they may not feel as strong as they did tonight and they still have to find an altar 
These altars are open tonight. I know I've gone a little long. You did not get a short message. I'm sorry. But I did feel like I needed to finish tonight. I refuse to walk around a crumbled altar and look away as if I didn't recognize that this was my doing. I refuse to look at a world and say, it's all because of the things that you influenced me with. Because I have the responsibility right here on my own shoulders, the things that I've done, said, thought, and I still have to have an altar. Let's sing tonight. I need the condition your altar is in tonight, but the message preached is, if you just rebuild it, others may have destroyed it, the world may have come and tore some things down, and it looks like it's a mess, but I'm telling you, if you just rebuild it one stone at a time, wood upon wood, stone upon stone, that's what we need to do. I think it'd be appropriate in conclusion tonight if we would just come up to the well and make a commitment. God, I want my altar to be pleasing in your eyes once again. I want, when Elijah rebuilt the altar, the Lord answered. When Elijah put all that work in, the Lord answered. The time of the evening sacrifice, God honored the servant of God because he put some work in and built an altar. Right now, just for a few moments where you are, there's some praying and seeking a touch from God. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Let's pray for one another. Lord, I'm rebuilding an altar so you can move in my life. I'm putting some stones back together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Savior, I come. 
right, let's worship him as they sing. Yes. I need thee, oh, I need thee. I need thee, me now, my Savior, when I come to Hallelujah, let's worship him as he sings. Oh, I need So you can move, Savior, hallelujah. 